Chapter 33 of Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Mirendo 07. Discourses on the First Decade of Titus Livius, Book 1, by Niccolo Machiavelli. Translated by Ninian Hill Thompson. Chapter 33. When a mischief has grown up in or against a state, it is safer to temporize with than to meet it with violence. As Rome grew in fame, power, and dominion, her neighbors, who had first had taken no heed to the injury which this new republic might do them, began too late to see their mistake, and desiring to remedy what should have been remedied before, combined against her to the number of fourteen nations. Whereupon the Romans, resorting to a method usual with them in seasons of peril, appointed a dictator, that is, gave power to one man to decide without advice, and carry out his resolves without appeal. Which expedient, as it then enabled them to overcome the dangers by which they were threatened, so always afterwards proved most serviceable when, at any time during the growth of their power, difficulties arose to embarrass their republic. In connection with this league against Rome, we have first to note that when a mischief which springs up either in or against a republic, and whether occasioned by internal or external causes, has grown to such proportions that it begins to fill the whole community with alarm, it is a far safer cause to temporize with it than to attempt to quell it by violence. For commonly those who make this attempt only add fuel to the flame, and hasten the impending ruin. Such disorders arise in a republic more often from internal causes than external, either through some citizen being suffered to acquire undue influence, or from the corruption of some institution of that republic, which had once been the life and sinew of its freedom, and from this corruption being allowed to gain such head that the attempt to check it is more dangerous than to let it be. And it is all the harder to recognize these disorders in their beginning, because it seems natural to men to look with favor on the beginnings of things. Favor of this sort, more than by anything else, is attracted by those actions which seem to have in them a quality of greatness, or which are performed by the young. For when in a republic some young man is seen to come forward endowed with rare excellence, the eyes of all the citizens are at once turned upon him, and all, without distinction, concur to do him honour, so that if he have one spark of ambition, the advantages which he has from nature, together with those he takes from this favourable disposition of men's minds, raise him to such a pitch of power, that when the citizens at last see their mistake, it is almost impossible for them to correct it, and when they do what they can to oppose his influence, the only result is to extend it. Of this I might cite numerous examples but shall content myself with one relating to our own city. Cosimo de' Medici, to whom the house of the Medici in Florence owes the origin of its fortunes, acquired so great a name from the favour wherewith his own prudence and the blindness of others invested him, that coming to be held in awe by the government, his fellow-citizens deemed it dangerous to offend him, but still more dangerous to let him alone. Niccolo da Uzzano, his co-temporary, who was accounted well versed in all civil affairs, but who had made a first mistake in not discerning the dangers which might grow from the rising influence of Cosimo, would never while he lived permit a second mistake to be made in attempting to crush him, judging that such an attempt would be the ruin of the state, as in truth it proved after his death.
for some who survived him, disregarding his counsels, combined against Cosimo and banished him from Florence. And so it came about that the partisans of Cosimo, angry at the wrong done him, soon afterwards recalled him and made him prince of the Republic, a dignity he would never have reached but for this open opposition. The very same thing happened in Rome in the case of Caesar, for his services having gained him the goodwill of Pompey and other citizens, their favour was presently turned to fear, as Cicero testifies, where he says that it was late that Pompey began to fear Caesar. This fear led men to think of remedies, and the remedies to which they resorted accelerated the destruction of the Republic. I say, then, that since it is difficult to recognize these disorders in their beginning, because of the false impressions which things produce at the first, it is a wiser course when they become known to temporize with them than to oppose them. For when you temporize, either they die out of themselves, or at any rate, the injury they do is deferred. And the prince who would suppress such disorders or oppose himself to their force and onset must always be on his guard, lest he help where he would hinder, retard when he would advance, and drown the plant he thinks to water. He must therefore study well the symptoms of the disease, and, if he believe himself equal to the cure, grapple with it fearlessly. If not, he must let it be, and not attempt to treat it in any way. For otherwise it will fare with him as it fared with those neighbours of Rome, for whom it would have been safer, after that city had grown to be so great, to have sought to soothe and restrain her by peaceful arts, than to provoke her by open war to contrive new means of attack and new methods of defence. For this league had no other effect than to make the Romans more united and resolute than before, and to bethink themselves of new expedients whereby their power was still more rapidly advanced, among which was the creation of a dictator. For this innovation not only enabled them to surmount the dangers which then threatened them, but was afterwards the means of escaping infinite calamities into which, without it, the Republic must have fallen. End of chapter 33